0: to highlight and support independent bookstores. They discuss the books they've written, the books they're reading now, and the art of storytelling. If you love books and you're curious about the writing world, you're in the right place.
1: Hi, everybody.
0: It's Wednesday
1: night, and that means it's time for Friends and Fiction. Usually we say it's the happiest night of the week. I'm gonna say it's the luckiest night. Tomorrow's St. Patrick's Day, love right? Yeah. Love it. We are so happy to be here with you tonight. I'm Mary Kay Andrews, and there's an echo. Oh,
0: I'm um, Kristen Harmel, and I hear that echo too. <laughs> You're right. I'm Chris Stevenson Harvey, <laughs> and I don't think it was me. <laughs> I just muted.
2: I'm Patty Kelly, <laughs> and I hope it isn't me. I hope it's a weird, glitchy thing. Yeah, I'm gonna. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, it's not Wednesday night without some kind of a glitch.
2: Nope.
0: <laughs> but this, we were so cocky backstage about we, how we wow, were just it saying, "Oh, we've got it down. We know what we're doing." Yeah, yeah we figures. don't.
1: But anyway, one way or the other, this is Friends in Fiction for New York Times bestselling <laughs> authors, endless stories to, to support indie booksellers and, and authors and librarians. Now you made me lose my stride. But. <laughs> <laughs> Not hard to do.
2: Mary Kay, have you ever
1: had a stride? Is there? there, (laughs) No, you can't lose what you haven't had, right? (laughs)
3: That is true.
1: Tonight, we'll be talking with John Searle and Jessica Strausser will join us for the after show.
3: So fun. Well, as you know, we encourage you to support independent booksellers when and where you can. And tonight, we hope you will buy our guest John's book, Her Last Affair, from our friends at Turning the Page in Monroe, Connecticut. This is John's hometown, Indy. They have loads of signed copies ready to ship, and if you purchase before Tuesday, they will give you an access code to attend the live stream of John's amazing launch night event in New York City, which he'll tell us more about later. Remember, you can always visit the Friends of Fiction shop at bookshop.org to buy our guests and hosts books at a discount.
2: And I am here to tell you, if you haven't gotten your spring box yet with Christy and Mary Kay's book in it, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> like, what is happening? They both have brand new books coming out in the next couple of weeks. Christy's The Wedding Veil is on March 29th, and Mary Kay's The Home Wreckers on May 3rd. And y'all have to read what Booklist had to say about that book. It's pretty dang great. Of course, they're available wherever books are sold, but if you want a hand-signed first edition of both of these books, plus that free gift of that amazing notebook with little stickies, you will get each of them as soon as they're released. And if you haven't read Kristen's Forest of Vanishing Stars and My Surviving Savannah from 2021, those are both coming out this spring in paperback mine in April, and Kristen's in May. That's right, (laughs) um, Sean,
1: um, I lost my place,
4: (laughs) so
1: I'm gonna talk about, oh, are you feeling lucky? Is everyone feeling lucky? Yes, yes, good.
2: (laughs) We were, we
4: were, we kind of shot that.
1: You must enter our latest giveaway with page one books. Our lucky winner will get their pick between one of two amazing limited edition gift bundles from page one books. And, you know, that's a subscription service. So if you win, you can choose either the Boozy Reader Bundle, a $75 value, or the Jane Austen Persuasion Bundle, a $100 value. So enter by next Tuesday, March 22nd at midnight eastern using the entry form linked on our facebook page we'll announce a a winner live on the show on march 23rd and good luck right meanwhile sign up i I want to win win. i want to win
4: (laughs) who doesn't doesn't (laughs) want to win three books
1: um we'll announce the winner good luck sign up for a three six or twelve month page one subscription subscription package And get 15% off the cost of that with the code in all caps, FRIENDS15. Mm -hmm.
0: See, we're just so generous. We're just giving you codes left and right. It's so much fun. And another thing you can use a code on that will get you a nice big discount is Charleston Coffee Roaster. So everyone in the Friends and Fiction community gets 20% off all bagged coffee, on our partner, Charleston Coffee Roasters website with the code friends." That's coffee with friends, no spaces. And what better time than St. Patrick's weekend to try your luck at our monthly giveaway. I considered doing that in an Irish accent, but it's really just bad. It just sounds, oh, vaguely, vaguely. It, it sounds vaguely Transylvanian at the same time, it just doesn't work. <laughs> um, so for that giveaway, we'll be picking three winners, one each in March, April, and May to win a three-month Coffee of the Month Club subscription, a $90 value. So get in it to win it using the entry form shared on our social media and in our newsletter. And, you know, obviously we work with Page One Books. We work with Charleston Coffee Roasters. Signing up for these giveaways is just a great way to show them that you're hearing about them here, you know, and and to kind of get engaged with what they're doing. Um, We like working with people um, whose brands and whose mission we support. So we hope you'll check them both out. We're very choosy. We
3: are. we are,
0: yeah. Picky, picky, picky,
3: picky. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
1: enough coffee talk.
2: See how <laughs> I did that? I <laughs> We, do. we, we everything you do. We do.
3: <laughs> Let's welcome our guest for the evening, John Searles. John is the best-selling author of the novels Help for the Haunted, Strange but True, and Boys Still Missing. His novel, Boy Still Missing, was hailed as riveting by the New York Times and inspired Time Magazine to name him a person to watch. That's awesome. His second novel, Strange But True, was named Best Novel of the Year by Salon. And his recent novel, Help for the Haunted, was named a Boston Globe Best Crime Novel of the Year and won the American Library Association's Alex Award.
2: In 2019, his novel Strange But True was adapted for film, and it's now streaming on Netflix and Amazon Prime with an award-winning ensemble that includes Amy Ryan, Greg Kinnear, Brian Fox, Blythe Danner, Danner, I almost said Daniel, Nick Robinson, and Margaret Qualley. Oh, man, that's so
0: cool. cool. So previously the longtime books editor at Cosmopolitan, John also served as the magazine's brand director, executive editor, and editor-at-large. His writing has been published in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and several other outlets. John has a master's degree in creative writing from New York University, and he lives in New York. Okay,
1: Sean, let's bring on the man of the hour, John Saul.
5: Hi everybody! Bye, John.
4: <laughs> Thank Hi, John.
5: Hi, John. Very much. You know, sometimes when people do you get this, when you're being introduced, I'm like, I don't know what they're gonna say. I wonder where things are pulled together. I'm like, sometimes people are like, John worked at GQ. I'm like, no, I never worked at GQ. <laughs> just, so I really am grateful for that. Thank you. I'm so
1: glad. Well, we're thrilled you're joining us tonight. I just wish it were in person. You know, back in the day when we shared the same amazing editor at HarperCollins, yes. we did have some hilarious, um, well liquored <laughs> lunches and dinners. <laughs> <laughs> really, really really <laughs> i were shocked. I know. It seems to be a theme in, in every meeting I've had with every writer I've ever known. <laughs> <laughs> but enough about old times. We would love it if you would give us an elevator pitch for her last affair.
5: Well, I just want to say a good thank you for being here. It's really an honor, a pleasure to be with all of you, and you're also fun. I just love the vibe of the show; is just hilarious. Everyone laughing, and yeah. I'm, I'm, her last affair is set at <laughs> primarily at a kind of abandoned, defunct old drive-in movie theater. That's the screen there. Uh, people sometimes say, "Is that a billboard?" I'm like, "No, it's an old drive-in movie screen." Yeah. And it tells a rather strange and unusual love story of the woman who once owned the drive-in. She and her husband owned it and ran it together for 50 years. And then a few nights before her their 50th anniversary, he dies in a mysterious accident in the woods behind the drive-in.
4: Oh. And in the
5: aftermath, she takes in a mysterious tenant, we'll say, a very charming British man named Teddy Cornwell. And it's really a book, um, it's a mix of genres. I don't think of often my books get categorized as thrillers and i don't think of myself as a thriller writer i just probably like all of you like you just think of yourself as a storyteller you know and so it's a, it's part character study part thriller and it's really a book um I don't say it's a love story but i say it's a story about love yeah. um uh, and um i don't know how's that for my elevator pitch what That's pretty
4: good. Right. Excellent. good.
3: That excellent. Especially, I, I find it very difficult right before the book comes out to like really get the elevator pitch nailed down. You did a really good yeah. job.
4: Thank you, Christy. I appreciate that. <laughs>
3: Well, John, your work has been described as haunting, chilling, and even a little twisted. And certainly the characters in her last affair are memorable. Skyla, the aging proprietress of a long closed drive-in movie theater, Jeremy, who's never gotten over his first doomed love, and Linnell, a woman whose stifling marriage prompts her to seek out her own first love. Where do these damaged and vulnerable people come from?
5: Isn't it obvious? I'm Dan. <laughs> 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 the answer is I the I to question. question.
4: Yes.
5: I have to say on that note, I once did a Today Show segment for a book <laughs> that I wrote that was written by a teenage, uh, The narrative, the narrator is a teenage girl and the host asked me, well, how do you feel writing a book from a teenage girl? What made you do that? And I answered on the air, "Isn't it obvious? Deep down, I am a teenage girl." And <laughs> my mother said, "My mother said at that point I turned off the television. <laughs> I couldn't watch it anymore." <laughs> um, but I guess it's just part of my imagination, and part like people I meet, and you know, um, the way the book is structured, it's three seemingly separate storylines that converge halfway through the book. So you have Skyla, as you mentioned, who runs the driving, the, I almost said the driving school, the drive-in. Uh, then you have <laughs> Linnell, who's in this bad, boring marriage, who one morning hears from her very first love on Facebook, of all places, uh, and she says, I haven't stopped thinking about you all these years. They haven't seen each other in nearly 30 years. And she begins an online affair with him. And then you have a third character, who reconnects with the woman who broke his heart years before, and they agree to go on a dinner date. So it's all three people all grappling with some issue around love. And then, as I said, halfway through the book, the stories collide and it becomes much more of a thriller. Mm.
3: Sounds wonderful.
2: So, John, you have said that you started writing this book in the aftermath of a very bad year. (laughs) which makes me think of that book I read to my kids, like the... Terrible, horrible, no good. Alexander,
3: the right?
2: I'm running away to <laughs> Australia. Um, so you said that about, you know, the aftermath of this. The book yeah. was part of the aftermath of a bad year. Would you talk about that and about whether it was part of your inspiration <clears throat> or if it led to this book? T- talk to us about that, because oh. we like hearing about bad that's into good through story. It's something
5: <laughs> Well, listen, I um live in New York City primarily and um a few years ago, a guy down the hall, he and his girlfriend used to fight all the time and they would always put Alexa at the center of their fights, like, Alexa, call 911. No, Alexa, oh, don't call
4: 911.
5: Oh and I, my, my husband would just be like, I don't ignore them, but I'd have my ear to the wall, like, oh my God, okay. Wait, they're really in a big fight now. <laughs> I would just be tuned oh into every DJ. And so sad. I don't know the specifics of what happened, but what I'm told. Is um, he? She caught him with someone else, and so you. The next night, when he was out with a friend, she got into his apartment and took a butcher knife and slashed his all his furniture, attacked his flat screen TV, took his clothing out on the terrace and lit it on fire. And he had three green space heaters out there, illegal, in a tab, and literally blew the roof off the place. And so. We were visiting a friend at the Jersey Shore, and I we got a text that said, there's a fire in the building. And remember, like, when we, we first heard a plane hit the World Trade Center, we thought, oh, it's probably yeah. a little plane. That's how yeah. I was. Fire. Like, that's probably just a little kitchen fire. It'll be fine. You know, the next morning, we were driving home, and people were sending us news clips from ABC News about this fire in New York City. And we pulled oh. up, and the bomb squad was here. There was police tape. But I, it's I mean, it was not funny at the time, but I try to make it funny now. I They would not let us out. They're like, it's a crime scene. I am determined. So I convinced them to let me upstairs to my apartment, and I got up. Our ceiling had collapsed. It was water and smoke. Oh I mean, the door was it was a disaster. There were people everywhere, like fire stuff. But there was one little corner of the apartment that was weirdly untouched. It was fine. So I said to Thomas, my husband, I said, it's okay. We'll put plastic sheets up. We'll Sleep on the fold. up sofa It's It'll be fine. Don't worry. It'll be totally fine. So my personality and the fire, the head of the New York City fire department said, son, you don't have a roof over your head. This air is toxic. You cannot sleep here.
4: here.
5: I'm, I'm always sort of like, I can do it. It's okay. Don't worry. I'll just keep going. And um, so we, were, we were, we weren't able to live in our house for months and months and months and months in our apartment. So we bounced from hotel rooms to people's spare bedrooms to, just all over the place and I check your fire insurance, that's my message to everybody. But also um, I, then sadly my father died in a motorcycle accident not long after. Oh, wow.
4: so
5: during that time, yeah, it was a difficult time in my life. And so have people, we all have difficult times, so I'm not saying I'm special, but it was a lot of difficult stuff at once. And I just, my kind of solace was waking in the mornings and, and just escaping into this book and these characters and um I don't know it gave me a sense of peace to write this book
0: we talked were you writing it oh I'm sorry go ahead (laughs) go ahead ahead, Kristen I I was just gonna ask were you writing it wherever you were like when you were sleeping in people's houses and you know in in their spare rooms like were you did (coughs) did you have a set writing place or were you just writing kind of wherever you landed
5: the place on legal pads on my computer on
4: Sometimes I'm on my
5: phone. And then we moved back home. And we were like, okay, we're back home. Everything's gonna be back to normal. And then the pandemic happened. like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> Then we left again. And so really during the pandemic too is when I really, really hunkered down and just kind of brought the book home and just um, used that time Every morning I would get up and it was my solace just writing. I'm sure you all feel that way sometimes too.
4: Yeah.
2: But we've often talked about how the writing of all of the books that came out last year that we all wrote during the pandemic with Mary Kay sending us text messages, Are you writing this morning with her whip?
4: Yeah it was it was a it was a <laughs> soft
2: place to land in yeah. a madly burning world, John. So I can see that, but you're writing this book in all these different places. Do you have a process? Do you outline? There's so many twists. Do you plot out each twist in advance or do the characters take over? I'm imagining you moving from hotel room to apartment to your back to your own house. Do you have an out? So you're not in your office with some big outline,
4: right? So no, talk to us about your um,
5: process. I, you know, I wish I was more organized and I Be if any of you are people who outline, I envy you so much. I try to and I use outlines, but it always changes. And I, and I, just really start with character and um, I always tell this story when I was in year 12 of waiting tables and I put myself through college I put myself through graduate school and I wrote a book I went to be a writer and I wrote a book and I met a friend of a friend of a friend who was an editor at a publishing house and she said you don't need an agent just send me the book just send it yourself I said okay and I, I sent her the book and then a few months later I got the manuscript back and I took the manuscript out of the box. It was a very polite rejection letter. I thought, okay, stung but fine. And then a little scrap of paper fell to the floor, and it was from an in-house reader, and it was mistakenly left with the manuscript. And it mm-hmm. said, "I quote: I could barely make it to page sixty, and I feel really sorry for anyone who has to read the whole thing." <gasps>
4: oh.
5: yeah. I know. I no.
4: Know. <laughs> yeah.
5: I know. I took to my bed with vapors. I, <laughs> oh <laughs>
4: man. You
5: know,
4: it's
5: it was painful and heartbreaking and I thought I'll never write again and it's just too hard and I was gonna and I actually liked reading tables. I made great money. All my friends were people I read tables, but I loved it. But by year twelve I was kind of I was like, I wanna be a writer, it's what I want to do. And I um you know, then I was cleaning under my bed. I don't know about for you, but weirdly writing in cleaning are connected in my mind. Yeah. I heard the first sentence to this book and it was, whenever my father disappeared, we looked for him on Hanover Street. And really in part that's true for my life. My dad, I love him, may he rest in peace. But he was a big drinker and a loved the ladies. And my mom and I, a big part of my childhood was spent driving around looking for my father in bars. And my mom would send me oh. to him. And he had a girlfriend. Oh. Who was so I wrote down that sentence and then I went back to cleaning and then I heard another sentence word down. And then I, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to write for myself because I, it's what I love to do. But that letter and the reason I mentioned that too, in response to your question is it was kind of a teachable moment to use that phrase because I thought I never want anyone to have that experience again. I never want anyone to they can fairly make it to page 60. So I really work hard and I know all what you do too from page one, paragraph one, sentence one to pull the reader in. And the first, the first sentence of this book is, every marriage has its secrets. And so I that's my invitation to the reader to say, look, it's a question, like what are the what are the secrets in this narrator's marriage? You know, and then hopefully I pull the go from there. So a lot of painful stuff, but hopefully a lot of good stuff from it, as you said, as you said before.
0: That's awesome. You know, I love hearing those stories of um of rejection at the beginning of a career because I think those are the things that make us into the writers we are, you know. Um and, and I think it's inspiring to people who were at the beginning of trying to become published writers to hear that it wasn't smooth sailing for any of us. I mean, I think we all kind of stumbled our way into this, and and it's that stumbling that makes us better, I think. So, anyhow, so thank you for telling that story. So um to switch tracks a little bit, um, we know you started working at Cosmo as an intern right out of grad school, and you stayed for over yes. twenty years. Is that right?
5: Oh, yeah. That's, so that's, I, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead.
0: There must be a it's, delay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Oh no.
5: So I, as I said, I was in year twelve, of waiting tables. I was frustrated. I heard about a job at Redbook magazine, reading fiction submissions, and at the time, Redbook uh, published. Eleven stories a year, and they got thirty-five thousand unsolicited fiction submissions. And so I would go there and fill bags of stories and bring them home and and read them and often have to chat attach a rejection letter. However, after my rejection that I just mentioned, I felt so bad rejecting anyone else. So I'd always put notes on the margins like "keep going, don't let your dream die." <laughs> <laughs> I was like about to encourage people. But um and then from there I heard about a job upstairs at Cosmopolitan in the books department, opening packages and logging books into the computer. And so I I had no money. I cannot stress that enough. So I bought a jacket at the Salvation Army for twelve dollars. And my friend, my mentor, the novelist Anne Hood, I remember saying to her, I guess I need a resume. She's like, You're a writer. Writers don't need resumes. So I went on the interview and they were like, Where's your resume? And I was like, oh, <laughs> Right? I to have resumes. I think they hired me because they felt sorry for me. And I remember <laughs> saying to my mom, I don't know. It seems, I don't know how I, if I like this place, Cosmo. And then she said, give it, a, try it for two weeks and see how you like it. And well, I stayed for 23 years and I yeah. like, retired and moved up. And, it, and actually was so many smart, fun, fascinating women, at that magazine. And I had so many great, opportunities and things I got to do that I I never would have. And growing up the way I did, like I said, my dad was a truck driver. No one in my family even went to college. Like it was like falling through the rabbit hole, like into this world. Like people wait, people just send you free books to read. People just send you beauty products. People just, send you you know, it's just like amazing. Like, I don't know. It's just people invite you to all these parties. Like, I don't know. I just thought I, I really loved the experience. It was great.
0: Oh, That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about working for the legendary, the legendary Helen Gurley Brown and also about writing some of those saucy magazine cover lines, if that was ever something that you worked on? Uh,
5: Well, Helen, um, you know, when I first started working there, this is going to take me a little bit, but it was the day I just got out of NYU and it was the day. That, when I started at Cosmo, it was the day of the O.J. Simpson verdict. That was a very long time oh, ago. Oh, my
4: goodness.
5: And I remember we all went into her office to watch it, and everyone was riveted watching what was going to happen with O.J. on the screen. But she was just working behind her desk, and she was like, I don't know, almost 80 at the time. I don't know what she was. She had just had her breasts <laughs> done. She had a plunging top, a little mini skirt, bangle bracelets, her hair. She's working away at her desk. And I remember everyone else was staring at O.J., but I was like this, like, staring at Helen <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> just like couldn't take my ass off her but she was so so nice and really sweet and and I really loved her she did say one funny thing Um, we, we would have lunch you know years, like a couple times a year and one time one of the last times I saw her she said Pussycat I have to ask you a question I said yes Helen and she said are you a homosexual <laughs> cat. Like, yes, I am. And she said, um, do you have a special friend? I said, yes, I do. And she said, Good I'm glad. I don't know. She knew me for years and finally her gaydar went off. And then in terms of those cover lines. <laughs> cover- it's my favorite line-
4: story ever. <laughs> you
5: know, we used to do these... it was called the Red Hot Read and it was basically a a sex scene that we excerpted from a romantic thriller every month. I used to call it the blank of the month club. I won't say it. And it was just a funny, steamy excerpt. And so there was this, and then we had to title the excerpt. And so um, there was one where it was the, the couple, it's like a bodyguard, and then this woman, and they end passion, and they end up doing it um, in her bedroom. Then they do it in the bathtub. Then they do it in the staircase. And I called it "bed, bath, and beyond" her wildest dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs>
4: that's awesome
5: you're in the presence of (laughs) Uh, I'm intimidated
0: I I know John I feel like we're gonna have to um to ask you to write our titles for us from now on like just our book titles because I would take something like that
5: I'm
4: here
0: here have
1: interdepartmental like contest to see who wrote the greatest of the great cover lines because that would win for me
5: yeah, I we didn't done that I know we didn't do that. I think maybe I got a raise that day, though. I, I hope
3: I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mary Kate Andrews could probably give you a run for your money on that. Anytime we yeah. need something clever, we she's
1: our You're good at that.
5: Okay, I'm not surprised.
1: Oh John, I I true. thought I remembered at one of those boozy lunches, you saying that I don't know if it was the first time, but you said you remembered meeting her, she was in her eighties. And she was wearing a gold lame bustier in the office.
5: Yes, yeah, she did. Did I, did I make she, that up? Bustier, but I don't know if it's gold lame. But she did have these like things. I don't know. It's kind of
4: amazing.
5: <laughs> <he> was, <I'm, laughs> she was a character, and she was so much fun. And um oh, yeah. Um,
0: well, so John, one more question then about your time there. Um, and I have to ask this cause I used to work, I, I worked for people magazine for about a dozen years. So you and I could probably share, share yeah. some stories, but, um, I know you've spent time with so many celebrities over all your years at Cosmo and also through your husband's work in theater and through your own work, I'm sure with your, um, your project being adapted, uh, or, um, for Netflix, for Netflix, right? Um, but we we love seeing you share all those photos and stories on Facebook and Instagram. So, other than Mary Kay's fake boyfriend Paul Rudd, who's obviously at the top of everybody's list, do you have any particularly favorite encounters?
5: Well, I do have to just say about the Paul Rudd thing. I have a photo for those who don't know. I have a photo with Paul Rudd, and just once in a while, I just post it to torture Mary Kay Andrews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lovingly yeah. work to her because I, I really do love Mary Kay Andrew, So I don't <laughs> but,
3: She can um, take it. She can take the
5: heat. Yeah, my yeah. fun way. And when he was just named sexiest People Magazine sexiest man alive. Oh, I woke up and raced downstairs to like post it as fast as I could and tag <laughs> Um But well, um, Meg, you're fantastic. Call make like, your producer, your marketer who runs the show. Uh, she asked me, and I told her one fun thing was uh, Fergie, the singer from Black Eyed Peas. Oh, I yeah. once met her, and I happened to know the rap to her song. Glam- there, I sent oh, my- no. oh, nice. happen to know the rap to her song Glamorous because I used to listen to it when I would run all the time. And so mm-hmm. she was like, Really, can you do it for me? And so I did it for her, I rapped for her. Um, I still go to Taco Bell, drive through, raw as hell. I'm not going to do the like, <laughs> one. <laughs> She's like, will you marry me? And somehow it hasn't happened yet. But,
2: but. <laughs> Probably because of that question that Helen Gurley Brown asked you.
5: <laughs> it might
2: have something to do with it. Yeah. I don't know. That. You already had someone special.
4: <laughs> special you already had a special,
1: special friend. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get back to. Oh, oh that's oh, a oh,
4: nice. That. Oh, he looks.
1: Oh, that's awesome. He looks oh, very. Man, I feel like he feels threatened in that photo, John. <laughs>
4: <laughs> he feels threatened. <laughs> he,
1: he feels should. threatened.
4: He yeah. should. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's get back to the book. Her last affair has so many twists and turns. You kept me guessing until the very last minute. I would love to know why. I mean, I kind of know because I did a little cyber stalking. But I'd love to know (laughs) why you set the book at a drive-in movie theater and how you decided which classic movies to quote in the chapter headings. But before you answer, um, Sean is going to show us this amazing book trailer. Right, Sean?
5: whenever i go home to see my mom i pass an old drive-in movie theater most people probably don't even notice since it's overgrown and abandoned though i always notice the sign is still there tucked away behind some trees something about this site led me to start looking up old drive-ins online and i developed kind of an obsession because i found the most haunting and beautiful images of these places all across america forgotten by time I love the old speaker poles. I love the tattered screens reaching skyward. Then one day the writer and me thought, what if a love story took place at an abandoned drive-in? Since I don't write romance novels, I wasn't envisioning a bodice ripper, but what if I could write a story that was unusual and dark and full of twists and turns and told the strange love story of the woman who runs owned the drive-in? So that's how I came to write Her Last Affair. The book comes out this March. I really hope you'll read it, and I hope it makes you think about love. Oh, that's awesome. Awesome. that's awesome. a great that's, that's awesome. A great I the question right there. The drive, in you know, I just like I say in that video, I when I go home to visit my mom, we have a little house out in Sag Harbor, and when I go to visit my mom, I have to go to the ferry in Central Long Island, and I pass this old drive-in movie theater, and no one probably even notices it because it's. It's like a strip mall there and it's like a really busy stretch of road. I don't know why I'm clinging to my subway card as I talk to you all. I don't know why. This is my little pipe thing. (laughs) (laughs)
4: It's just a security
2: blanket.
5: So um, anyway, I see it there and no one probably notices it, but I do. And I just always wonder like, what was it like when it was booming and popular? And then I started researching it. And then I started looking up old drive-ins just in general. And there I found all these photos like those on the video of just these beautiful places that are just forgotten by time and they're just kind of haunting. And I thought, gosh, what a eerie, interesting setting for a novel set it in an old drive-in movie theater. And yeah. um, you know, the tone of the book, I, I just spoke with this um, reporter from this newspaper and and he paid me what I thought was such a compliment. He said, you know, it feels very much like um, a Coen Brothers movie, like Fargo to me, and I don't know if you, you admire that film, but I really do because that film is funny and dark and sad and and kind of sinister. It has so many different things, tones to it, and that's how I wanted this book to be. Like, I, I hope people find it funny in places, all the stuff with the show dog that yeah, this, pretty.
4: this character pretty
5: He really wants to win back his ex-girlfriend, and she's like, will you watch my show dog and it's this gigantic standard white white standard poodle with all fluffed up and like a topiary kind of thing and so <laughs> there are moments of humor with stuff like that and then there's the, the creepy nurse which if you think about like nurse ratchet or Annie wilkes in misery there's something about a nurse because nurses are supposed to do do good and help us all but when they turn sinister there's some there's nothing scarier and there's a scary nurse in this book who um is up to no good parts. But then when, at the end of the story, I hope when you realize what happened to her, I hope people really empathize with her and and feel her heartbreak. So um, I hope that answers your question.
1: Yeah, somebody's asking um, if you've ever been to a drive-in movie.
5: Yes, I, um, Carrie Thoderman. Hi, Carrie. I uh, when we were little, we didn't go all the time, but there were moments. There were days. I'd say a half dozen times when my parents would. Put us all in our PJs and load up our station wagon and we'd go to a drive-in oh, and put so in the back. And so I never thought I'd write a book about it back then. But um I don't know. I think I'm just kind of my mom, um, mom when the last day she graduated high school, she took the lock from her locker and she locked it to this guardrail in our little town. And one day when I was little, my mom and I were walking to the town carnival and she showed it to me it was all rusted she said i put that there my last day of school and i don't know i was a weird kid i'm still a weird person i was like obsessed with this lock i would look at the lock all the time and it overlooked this old foundation of a house that was never built and i used to stare at the foundation and wonder like wonder about my, why did my mother put this lock there who built that house and never finished it and so there's i have a little bit of a obsession with abandoned places like the abandoned drive in and the strange for true it was this abandoned motel cottage that was there And helped the Haunted was an abandoned theater in Philadelphia. And so, um, I don't know, I think they just have, they draw me in for some reason. I'm not sure why.
4: Yeah.
3: They do sort of like beg a lot of questions and ask a lot of stories. I think that's, I would probably do that too. Especially like with your mom's luck. I can really see getting obsessed with something like
4: that. i obsessed.
3: Um, Speaking of things that you and I are both obsessed with, Um, Our dogs.
4: (laughs) So my
3: family just got our first puppy, my first dog ever, Salt. Um, But your dog Ruby, there's Salt, there's Salt. Uh,
4: salt. Your
3: dog Ruby is a celeb. I mean, she has her own Instagram account at Oh my God, it's Ruby. Ruby. You got to tell us like how did it come about, and most importantly, can Ruby and Salt be? Like best friends. Yes,
5: of course. I we will we will connect them. It'll be like instant love between them. It's be um, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's. Oh my god, it's Ruby on Instagram. But I have been really bad at pushing because I accidentally locked myself out of her account. I've got to figure out how to get back in. But, but I, and I will. Uh, and and Salt. What is Salt? Salt on Instagram.
3: Um, salt does not have his own account. People keep asking me when I'm going to get him his own account, but I can barely keep up with my one. And like, I really like posting salt content. Um, I was telling uh, to the Friends of Picture People, I was telling them backstage that people will message me and say, more salt content. <laughs> I'm like, okay, there's yeah. no salt pictures today. But wow. um, I can barely keep up with my own one Instagram
5: account. So That's I don't hilarious. think he's
3: going to have his own, but... He's right. on there.
5: On the we put them together. The thing is, there's so much darkness in the world, so uh, some nice puppy dog pictures are really welcome these days. I think you know.
4: Yeah.
3: No, I agree.
5: It's fun. It really yeah. is.
3: Ruby- okay. and puppy porn.
1: Everyone loves puppy porn.
3: <gasps> Ruby yeah. and salt. write a children's book. What a great
2: <laughs> idea. We <Great idea.
4: laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Winnie is starting to feel really weirdly left out. Oh, just, we I know, right?
5: <laughs> oh my we God. Um, well, Ruby, you know, I was saying before to y'all, like people have all sorts of obsessions and we are obsessed with her, but we realized at a certain point, well, it's not a bad obsession to be obsessed with this little quote. No, yeah.
4: So, no.
5: so we're okay with that. We don't yeah. mind um and she also we thomas my husband is a theater director and he was working for six months in london and so we went to live there it was very complicated to get her there you don't have to quarantine them but you have to get a doggy passport and do all the stuff and you have to fly in through oh France. oh my gosh it was very complicated wow. the thing is, my father like when i told him at the time this was a few years ago when he was still alive and i told him we had to get her a doggy passport we had to fly in through paris we had to do all the stuff he looked at me and said there's something wrong with you. <laughs>
4: okay, <so.
3: laughs> now, I used to be the person that was like, I mean, oh my God, just board the dog. Why is it such a big deal? You have to plan your whole life around this dog. And now I'm like,
4: how are we going
3: to take the dog? Like yeah. the dog's schedule is more important than anyone else's schedule.
4: Exactly. Yeah. exactly. We know. Yeah. <laughs> it's very true.
1: Okay. So we, um, I'm afraid we're going to run out of time. I don't want to run out of time before I t- tell everyone my great idea about <laughs> Tinder for dogs.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> right?
4: Super important. Super important. That Super
1: important. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to copyright it right off, like we right after we get off the show. So don't anybody steal that idea. <laughs> okay. <don't laughs> Do you want to talk to us about your in-person event happening this next Tuesday at Symphony Space in New York City, which I am going to be at, by the way.
5: I'm so oh, happy awesome. you're coming. We and so
4: envious. I, and I yeah.
5: hope the rest of you are going to get on a plane and get up here.
4: Yeah, you should get up. <laughs> <laughs>
5: um, so um, uh, New York City Symphony Space. And I wanted to do an interesting launch event because it's been two years of some hard times for everybody and for myself too. And so um, one of my books, Strange But True, was adapted for film and it's actually was on Netflix. Now it's on HBO Max with Brian Cox from Succession and with Margaret Qualley and Nick Robinson from Made, which was sent... Big Netflix hit and Amy Ryan, who was just an Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and Martin Short. And so Amy and I met on the that is
2: set That was so good.
5: Uh, uh, Wasn't it so good? She's That's the bassoonist good. in it. She's fantastic. And we met
4: That's so good.
5: We met on the set of Strength for True and became pals. And so I just asked her, I said, I'm doing I have to do like some kind of launch event. Would you want to do it with me? She said, sure. And so we're doing it at Stimpy Space and we've partnered with 40 indie bookstores around the country, especially my hometown bookstore, the bookstore in the town where I grew up. And if anyone purchases uh, a copy of Her Last Affair from Turning the Page or any of the other bookstores, yes, the bookstore on your screen, Turning the Page. Uh, in Monroe, Connecticut. If you purchase a book from there, you will get a unique access code to live stream the event as it's happening in front of a live audience at, at Symphony Space. And it's just going to be a great night. And I, you know, I I like to gab, as you can probably tell, but I never consider myself a good reader. I don't think I'm the best reader of my books. And so uh, Amy said, are you going to read? I said, oh, yeah, I'm just such a bad reader. And I said, kind of said sheepishly, would you read? She was like, oh, I'll totally read. I can do it. She said, I mean, people probably want to hear the author read and i was like yeah but not me i'm not good at it." so she said i'll read so she's going to read from the opening of the book and it's in her wheelhouse she's an academy award nominated actress and a two-time tony award nominated actress she'll do a better job than i will reading from the book so um, it'll be
0: so fun it's gonna be awesome yeah
1: And, and and people can look at um the the graphic that'll be on our page to see how everybody else can um and you know, attend the um event virtually if you can't be there in person like me because I'm special.
4: <laughs> we'll <see you> all. <laughs>
5: I'm gonna, um, I just want to say something about Mary canders is that I Thomas, my husband, was working out an Arizona testing show out there, and I flew out and I sat down on the airplane and a woman next to me started asking me, I was reading something, we started talking about books, and I said, Who's your favorite writer? And she said Mary Kay Andrew she said I've read every book she's ever written I love her I love her books and she started scrolling through her Kindle and showing me every book then taking books of Mary Kay out of her bag she was like a super fan and I um said what was me (laughs) (laughs) I said she's my friend and she kind of at first was like not your friend. I was like, no, she's really my friend. She think would believe me. So I found a picture of Mary <laughs> Kay Andrews in the and showed it to her and she was so blown away. Like she and I think then I subsequently put you in touch over. Yeah, did, did. She, did she ever write? I think she got scared. Yeah,
3: yeah. She was very kind.
5: Oh good. But she was um, such a super fan and it was such a fun moment for me. Because, yeah. Um, it's a
3: great introduction. Mary Kay has a restraining order now and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine.
5: <laughs> all good. Yeah. But, so um, they have a picture
1: of me at the door of the symphony space place. With a, yeah. Me
4: exactly.
1: and, yeah. Me and frisk me. I don't know. Um,
5: yeah. So um, that's my story. I don't know. Anything else? You got anything else to me, girls?
0: Yes. We got stuff yes. for you. Yeah. yeah. A couple more questions. So, John, we love we always love a good writing tip. And um, you know, we ask for one every week. One of our favorite parts of the show. Is there a writing tip you can share with us tonight?
5: Um, um you know, I have to say I read stuff out loud a lot. It's not so basic, but do you all do that? Like yeah. it helps me to read things out loud. I don't know why. And I I tell people that all the time, like sometimes it's good just to print it out and read it out loud so you can hear it. And I don't know, I always advise people to do that because I think it gets it out of your head and into another yeah. world. And so yeah.
0: I love I, that. I cool. feel like you should have Amy Ryan read all your
2: all your drafts aloud in the future. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. She'll sure love that.
2: Yeah, we'll start a business where you can hire famous people to read your drafts yeah. out
4: loud.
5: <laughs> exactly.
2: Um, It'll be in you- the same app with the dog Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> many good ideas, that we never do anything um, about.
5: Can I tell you a quick funny story about that little cameo in the film? Which is i when I got there, they were like. They called, Thomas and I were driving on the Long Island Expressway and they called and like, we're calling from the wardrobe department of Strange But True and you're going to do a scene with Amy Ryan and we want to figure out what you're going to be wearing so we can call in some wardrobe for you and some ensembles. I'm like, okay, well, what am I appearing as? They said, you will be a writer who speaks at a library event. And I said, you don't have to call in any clothing because that's all <laughs> That's, I have a closet <laughs> full of that. So they said, okay, just bring up clothes to the, it was in Canada, bring clothes, and um, we'll pick something and you'll wear it. So I go with my, i worked at Cosmo all day, ran to the airport, fly up, sleep over the next day, I get there and they go through my clothes and they pick something I wear and it's shot in a library and I'm about to go on and the wardrobe supervisor says, can you come back here in the, in the stacks I've talked to? Talk to you. I said, what? She said, it's about your nipples. They're really aggressive. That oh! like I went like this. And they said, she said, I'm, I'm going to have to take them. And I was like, what? And she said, lift your shirt. So I had to lift my shirt. I'm like, I won't do that now. And she was like. <laughs> 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 and, oh, and so then I did the scene. And then afterwards we like went to drinks or whatever. And I remember I got back to the hotel because I hadn't even checked into my hotel. No, no. But the night first night I stayed at this producer's house, the next night I was staying in a hotel. And I got to the desk and um, the producer said to me, oh, do you want to have a drink at the hotel? She asked me. And I said, you know, I'm just going to go upstairs, peel my nipple tape off and fall. Off. <laughs> <laughs> the person was like, oh, I have a prop. Handing me my hotel my room key. And I could tell the person at the hotel was like, I don't know what kind of weird stuff you're into, but I don't want any part of it. And then I got home and I said, Thomas, I'm like, look, I had two red streaks here and here. Yeah, my nipple story. Sorry.
4: John,
2: that's hilarious. (laughs) I bet that is the first and last time anyone has ever said, no, thank you. I want to go peel off.
4: I can't
2: even say it out loud. I'm just, I'm going to let you say it. All right, John, we usually ask authors to give us a book wrap. I'm getting off the aggressive nipples and I'm cutting this way. So,
5: Listen, we would I love it going to be a boring guest. I, I aim to entertain you. So. <laughs>
4: We're here for it. <laughs> but we
2: would love a book wrap. but we also love that New York Times book review question, which is, what <laughs> books might we surprise to find in your library or on our nightstands?
5: Well, a book I just read that I really <laughs> that just hit the new york times bestseller list. number four is the golden couple by sarah Yay. a wonderful book two great women two, you know great writers i love them both and then surprised you know there's a little west village newspaper here in the city that i love because i just love how the writing it'll start out as like a straight article and then turn into an opinion piece and then the writer suddenly is like yelling about something and then like oh, my dog and like I just love when it comes because I, it's my favorite thing to read is The Little Wesley <laughs> awesome. crazy poetry like good poetry but then I don't know so that's probably maybe surprising but I don't know if there's anything awesome. else that's surprising on there just a lot of new books
1: awesome. okay John if you wouldn't mind sticking around for a few minutes we have one more question for you but first we have a few reminders
2: for all of you out there so I'm here to always talk about one of my favorite things are writers block podcasts we'll always poke mm-hmm. we'll always post links under announcements each time a new one goes out and a no, new no 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 each time a new one drops, drops I'm not as cool as you I am not as tech savvy cool as you so I'm gonna try you every have your own Friday, app that's true yeah every Friday a new podcast, Drops. And on the last episode, Ron talked to Brad Meltzer about his life and work. And y'all do not want to miss it. It is so interesting. And Brad opens up about so much. What a fascinating career. And his new book, The Lightning Rod. And then this week, Ron and Mary Kay are talking to Harlan Coben about his new novel, The Match which just came out yesterday. And I know they have a fantastic conversation you don't want to miss. We did,
1: we had fun.
2: So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're hitting all those little subscription buttons, make sure to subscribe to our, kick out a piece of paper, our newsletter, our YouTube channel and Loco Plus, which is a new streaming platform that we are on that also includes a lot of brand new content from other independent creators.
0: And also obviously subscribe to Tinder for Dogs, which will be available tomorrow from Mary Kay, from the brain of Mary Kay Andrews. So if you're not hanging out with us yet in the Friends and Fiction of Bush official book club are missing out um you know we talk about them every week we love them it's run by lisa harrison and brenda gardner it's now more than eleven thousand strong and we hope you'll join the group if you're not a member and make sure that you're there march 21st when they'll be discussing the soulmate equation by christina lauren who um of course we love christina and lauren they're a lot of fun and we know you'll enjoy that chat
3: and make sure you join us right here next week, Wednesday at seven PM, where we will welcome Lisa Scottolini with her newest "What Happened to the Bennett's. And then in the after show, we're going to be talking to our friend Joy Calloway with her new novel, "The Grand Design." Then on March thirtieth, we have something very exciting coming up. Someone another novel called "The Money Mail. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, and we've got some nice um, headwear. I can't say that word, Mary Kay.
1: Milliner, millinery, millinery. It, I was like in my head. I was like, "Is it
3: millinery? Millinery?" <laughs> I, I wasn't sure, but that was, it was hats. It's hats. It's hats. It but it's it's versions of wedding veils, but some of them are more elaborate than others. So you're going to want to be there for that. Um, if you're ever wondering about our schedule, it's always on the Friends of Fiction website and on the header graphic on our Facebook page.
2: John you are up with one more question and I love this question I'm with my daughter and son-in-law this weekend and they said what is the favorite thing one of your favorite things about the show and I said when we get to ask them what were the values around reading and writing in your family when you were growing up
5: well as I said my dad was a cross-country truck driver and I would go on trucking trips with him you know, I always say my parents sent me in the summers trucking to quote, make a man out of me and they didn't get the results they wanted. But <laughs> I, um, on those trips, my dad would actually buy me in the truck stops. He would buy me mass market paperbacks of Stephen King's, the shining oh, wow. and John Irving's books. And my mom had a huge Sydney Sheldon collection of mass market Sydney Sheldon paperbacks. And I would often take those on those trips with my dad. And I, That was where I really loved to read. Learned sort of loved to just trucking was kind of actually not that exciting for me. I would like to be with my dad, but I that's really what I remember in a practical sense of books being introduced to me. And then also I just growing up like I didn't know I was gay, but like, the other boys somehow picked up on it. I didn't really fit in with them. I was terribly terribly bullied. So I would get dropped off at the library every day, most days and hide, hide in the library and that's where I love to learn to read and just love books too and find my escape in them. So I would say, you know, really it was a very little house and there was a TV on in almost every room. I'm like, can we just pick one TV please? Just yes. one one TV not five, but um, it was a lot of chaos and now looking back i such nostalgia and fondness for it. But at the time there was not a lot of place to have quiet. And so I would would always take those books and go in the bathtub. I'm like such a big bathaholic still to this day because that was the quiet place in that little house to hide out and read. So those are my memories of reading growing up. I I don't know if that answers your question exactly.
2: No, it's amazing. And I told them, I said, so many writers, they will bring up the word library. I'm I'm guessing 90% of the time. But never once has someone said my dad was a trucker and brought home mass market paperbacks. And I I love that. I think that's amazing, John, that's amazing.
5: Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. It's really such a pleasure spending time with you all. And thanks for, thank you. Um, thanks for introducing Her Last Affair to people. And I do hope people will join us on uh, March 22nd for the streaming event with Amy Ryan. I know I'll be seeing you, Mary Kay, in person. Yes. People tuning in tonight will get a copy and get the code to join us virtually uh, next
1: right. week. And don't forget before you go, John, tell our viewers and listeners where they can find you online.
5: Oh, uh, on Instagram, it's just at John Searles. And uh, on Facebook, I have an author page, John Searles Author. And then Twitter, I don't use as much, but Searles Books. Um, and then also, by the way, tomorrow, actually tomorrow afternoon, I have an essay coming in the New York Times called, if I can mention mm-hmm. this, Confessions of a Wedding Hater. And it's about how all my life when I'm the first line says, if you're reading this and I attended your wedding, I want to apologize for my behavior <laughs> because it's like, <laughs> no, my whole life. I hated weddings and I would get the invitation. And I'd be like, Oh God, I don't want to go. And then during John,
3: the- can you cut him. This is bad press for my book. Oh, sorry.
5: <laughs> In the end, it's good press because I, this summer, um, 25 years to the day we met. Thomas, my partner, and for 25 years now, my husband. We married 25 years to the day oh. we met, and now I am oh. a I love weddings. The last line says, oh. "If you're getting married, please invite me," because I I think the piece is tongue-in-cheek and funny, but it also kind of explores why I had a little bit of a wall up about weddings and marriage and all the stuff, and and then. Once I got married myself, I realized they were the most beautiful things. A wedding is the wow. most beautiful thing. And like the bath, yeah. like the toasts, and the dancing. And like, so now I'm a complete convert. So, um, there's cake. Um, and there's cake. So that there's comes cake. up tomorrow. And so I hope people will, I'll share it on social media, on Instagram, and all that stuff. But I hope you'll check it out. A, oh, yeah. Awesome. Congratulations.
4: It's so
1: Congratulations. great. Thank you so much, John. We never have enough time together. But
5: I thank all of thank you very you. much. Bye.
1: You're awesome. Thanks for coming. Thanks, John. My my friend. Okay, now don't leave because we have a great after show tonight (laughs) with Jessica Strausser. And don't forget, you can find all of our back episodes on YouTube. We're live there every week, just like we are on Facebook. And if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Plus, you'll have access to some special short clips. Be sure and do not miss next week, same time, same place, as we welcome another old friend, Lisa Scottolini.
2: We're back. Uh,
4: oh my gosh, he was so
2: great. great. He was so, good. <laughs> oh my gosh, he was so endearing. I and loved him. And, yeah. yeah. He yeah, he
0: was fantastic. Well, thank you, uh, Mary Kay. I know, um, I know he's an old friend of yours, so it was so nice to get to to meet a friend of yours and spend some time with him. And you know, um, I, we get to talk about nipple tape, and there's just you know, yeah, I mean, yeah I mean, that was a, first. a first. Yeah, it's a first. There's not enough opportunities for that. Really, <laughs> there really aren't. There really it does just doesn't come up in conversation that often. So. I, know I loved uh, it.
2: Well, aside from that, I did love. Um, I mean, Kathy, Mary Kay, your stories are often inspired by abandoned places too, houses. And but to see and drive past something like an abandoned drive-through over and over, we do it. A, we would do it a million times, and he imagined a whole story there. Yeah. And I, it, it makes the story even more fascinating than it already yeah. is hearing the why that would bubble up for him. I love it. I, I, those pictures are haunting of the drive throughs
0: Yeah. Yeah. The but insight into an- his creative bringing was interesting.
1: Yeah, We're doubly blessed tonight because we got an amazing after show
0: author. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start by telling you a little bit about her. Jessica Strausser is the editor-at-large of Writer's Digest. She previously served as the editorial director for almost a decade, and in that role, she became known for her in-depth cover interviews with talented people such as David Sedaris and Alice Walker. Her work has appeared in the New York Times' Modern Love column, which is fantastic.
3: Oh, I love that. Jessica me too. Yeah, of several novels, including Almost Missed You, Not That I Could Tell, Forget You Know Me, and A Million Reasons Why, which was called a standout in a starred booklist review. Jessica lives in Cincinnati, and her new novel, The Next Thing You Know, is set to be released next week.
4: And we're tall poppy writers together.
3: So welcome, yeah. Jessica.
4: Oh, great. Hi, Jessica. Hi, everybody.
2: Hey, Jessica. We are, are you so okay? happy. We're so thrilled you're here. All right. The next- John was
6: so good. I didn't know I was supposed to bring all my pictures of
3: myself with Paul Rudd. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> I could have gathered them all up. I know, you know, I know.
3: I try not to post mine just because it makes Mary Kay so jealous, but...
2: Her, it's <laughs> it's, it's we an very hush hush because we don't want to make her too mad.
0: So. I, I, on time. that note, I'm going to see if I can find
2: mine with Paul Red and have. uh oh, yeah. my <laughs> oh my gosh, I definitely do not have a picture with Paul Red. Okay, I want to talk about your book. So the next thing you know has been described <laughs> as a Star Is Born meets Me Before You. I, I love that. That's can good. you tell us a bit yeah. about it, please? Yes, that is the.
6: That is the very succinct elevator pitch. So I'll give you the chattier elevator pitch, which is, you know, the next thing you know is about a young 30-something woman named Nova who has just recently done a huge 180 in her life. She's left her job, her boyfriend, her hometown, everything she considers safe and familiar and has made the decision to become an end-of-life doula. So if you picture, you know, a midwife or a birth doula, a holistic role like that at the other end of life. Um, So, you know, she works with clients who are in poor health or getting up there in age and becomes a helpful presence in whatever they need in their last months or weeks or however long. Um, But she's not like this buttoned up hospice nurse type. She's like this young, freewheeling, motorcycle riding, just free spirit who will come at clients like, what do you want to do with the time you have left? And then she'll help them do it. And so one day this man, close to her own age, rolls up in his muddy Jeep smelling like a bonfire. And she doesn't (laughs) recognize him. She's never seen him before. She doesn't know who he is. But he is a pseudo famous, uh, pretty well-known musician on like the indie music festival scene who has recently disappeared from the public eye and no one knows where he went but where he went is that he shows up at her door and he has this degenerative condition where he's physically losing his ability to play his guitar and Mm. you can tell right away that he's going to be a tough nut to crack and like no client she's had before but they also have this immediate chemistry so you know it's a story of the power of connection and Hope against the odds, and you know what it really takes to live life with purpose and no regrets.
1: Okay, now talk to us, if you would, Jessica, about the seed of inspiration for this book. It's such interesting subject matter. I don't think I even know there was such a thing. How did you get the idea to write about end of life doulas?
6: I was actually researching a completely different. Um, novel that I did not end up writing, I was playing with the idea of, I was going to have this hostage situation, um, not like in a high stakes thriller, more like in a, what ended up being anxious people. So he did it better. It's probably better that I didn't write it, but I wanted, I was going to have like this hostage situation where there was an ensemble cast and I wanted to have like this meager old lady who is, um, nobody knows that she's terminally ill. So she was going to decide to be a hero and act like completely out of character um, because she figures she's on her way out anyway. So I had this idea for this, yeah, terminally ill character who was going to do this amazing out of character thing. And I was researching what your state of mind might be, like things that you might look up if, if you got a bad diagnosis. And I came upon the existence of of end-of-life doulas and I was so fascinated I think because I immediately just thought what a special person it would take to do I mean I immediately love to I'm sure you guys are the same way I just love to make up backstories for interesting people like kind of a game I'll play out in public when you know my husband and I sometimes (laughs) will try to decide like what other couples are talking about if they're on their first date or they're you know um and just the idea of I could invent so many interesting backstories for why people might become, you know, an end of life doula. And I also thought um, it, you could be really misunderstood if you did that job, because it's kind of taboo. You know, people don't really like talking about, um, especially in our culture, people don't like talking about like, you know, the, the final phase of life. They're very ad- adverse to it. So they have to navigate, they have to kind of mediate and navigate these really hard conversations that families don't necessarily want to have. So I, I just thought it would be really, really interesting. And then I ended up not writing that hostage book and writing A Million Reasons Why. And in the back of my mind, I had already gone down this this rabbit hole and sort of was in the back of my mind inventing a, a backstory for this Imaginary doula, and when it came time to write a new novel, that was yeah, that was it had been marinating for a really
2: long time. By then, I love how we're doing research for one book yes. and it gives us for another.
0: Yeah,
6: yeah. Mm-hmm. I also and a better, probably a, a way better idea than I yeah. originally yeah. had. Hopefully, yeah, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, it's funny
0: though how things can kind of marinate that way and become something you didn't expect, but almost the thing that it was supposed to be. Yeah, I I love that. So um, Jessica, you seem to be drawn to writing about sort of these shades of gray kind of situations where we can see multiple sides, where there's not always a clear right or wrong, you know, um, and where the characters' backstories really do play a huge role in how things unfold. Why do you think those shades of gray interest you so much? Because
6: I think everybody is shades of gray. We just don't always... See each other that way. You know, I mean, so many times you, and actually, that's exactly how it is with the characters in this book, where everyone around them kind of thinks they have their number. (laughs) They think they have that person pegged, and there's so much that they don't know. And um, especially now, I think. Well, and in the last two, we were already living so much of our lives online with social media, you know, putting up what you want to put up, but especially in the last two years um, with how much more isolating it's been, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot that you just don't know what people are going through. So for me, the gray area is totally, yeah, it's the only thing I want to write about because I feel like that's what's real. That's what's really going on. Yeah,
3: I agree. I like writing about this.
6: It's great, too. And I think you,
3: like, just on that, something I like to write about, that I think you like to write about, too, is when there's not a good answer. There's not a good solution. There's not a good, like, none of the options are good. So, like, what do you do? You know, which I'm always interested in people in those situations, because I think we all find ourselves in those situations sometimes. But like switching gears just a little bit, um, we mentioned earlier that you're an editor at large for Writers Digest. So can you tell us a little bit about like that side of your work? And do you think that being exposed to so many writers' processes and you know ways of thinking has shaped the way that you write? I definitely
6: think. I mean, oh my gosh, early on, absolutely. I mean, I was you couldn't have had the writing bug at all and done the job that job for very long without wanting to try it yourself um i think the cumulative effect of it all especially interviewing so many i think you you all do a really good job of showing that here because you're also interviewing all of these amazing writers and i was doing it on the phone from my desk and you're doing it on facebook and everyone else can watch and so you're showing everyone else actually the same thing that i learned which was that these writers who we always have kind of put up on pedestals, thinking they have they're tapped into some kind of secret, you know, yeah. I don't know, magical source, are really just people. Like they might need to have their nipples taped down at, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, seriously, what else oh, are you going to see? <laughs> yeah, um, just like the real side. You have these real conversations with enough writers and you kind of think okay everyone is just for are all just people doing this. and that makes it seem yeah. very doable because yeah. so many people want to write a novel and they're so intimidated by the idea of doing it and they feel like they have to well oh, maybe I would need to enroll in an MFA program or how would I learn it and yeah. really you can just start lot. so many of the people come at it you know so many people who are succeeding in this business come at it in a totally sideways way. And the only way that they succeeded was by just picking up a pencil. So, I mean, yes, I had tons of inspiration coming at me on how to do it and great advice on how to do it. And really anybody can get that by reading Writer's Digest or there's also a website called Career Authors that I contribute to that has a great monthly newsletter that's totally free. Um, The information is out there and shows like yours just Connecting with what really makes writers tick, you can learn a lot.
4: Was, I was there a big...
1: just this big question. Was there one big surprise that you've had in all the probably hundreds of interviews you've done, Jessica, that just kind of went, spun your head around?
6: One big surprise. Um, oh, gosh. You know, I don't think so. Um, maybe... David Sedaris um, is such a lovely man. He, he, you know, if you read his essays and, you know, he he's kind of this curmudgeon, he puts yes. forward this personality that he's kind of this curmudgeon and he's really annoyed by people. And, um, <laughs> I mean, he was one of the only writers to ever send me a handwritten postcard after our interview. Wow. Um you know, he he had been he had like a terrible tragedy in his family the day of our interview and he didn't cancel it. Mm-hmm. And then on his postcard, he was like, I'm sorry if I seemed down. <laughs> and oh, I was like, my, oh gosh. my gosh, he was just such a, a lovely man. Mm-hmm. So I think just some authors, some authors just aren't what you expect. I think I had been such a fan of him. Of his work forever. Talking to him on the phone was like having my radio NPR station, like responding to my questions because I had heard him <laughs> so much, <laughs> you know, yeah. on the radio. And it was weird to have that same voice talking back at me. And yeah, um, there's sometimes there's just a really lovely side to people that you don't necessarily yeah. see. So um, yeah, I think I've had my head turned in good ways, only good ways. That's great, that's,
3: that's a great answer.
1: Yeah. Well, Jessica, you've been great. Um, I know we could go on and on and on. We would pick your brain all night long if we could. But thank you so much for joining us tonight. And ladies, I'm sure you want to say good night, right? Jessica, thank you so
4: much. Good night, Jessica. Congratulations for having me. Thank you very much. Right.
1: Right. The next thing you know... And tell people where they can find you on social media.
6: Oh, I'm at Jessica Strausser, author on Facebook and Instagram, um, or at jessicasstrausser.com. I'm going to be doing, um, I have a pretty robust hybrid event calendar. So there's a combination of virtual and in person events, and those are all on my website too. Perfect. So. Everybody
1: go Please. look at that book and buy it. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks, Good night, thanks ladies. Bye.
3: Good
0: night. Night. Thank you for tuning in. You can join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live show airs on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Also subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram. We're so glad you're here.
5: Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.